Okay, this meeting is now being recorded. Good evening, everyone. This is a meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment, and the time is 5.06 p.m. A note that the ringing of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please turn your devices off. Due to the COVID-19 health emergency and to protect commissioners, department staff, and members of the public, the Commission on the Environment's meeting room 416 is closed. However, commissioners and department staff will be participating in the meeting remotely. This precaution is taken pursuant to the statewide stay-at-home order and all preceding and proceeding local, state, and federal orders, declarations, and directives. Commissioners will attend the meeting through video conference or by telephone if the video fails and participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. sfgovtv.org are streaming the number at the top of the screen. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone call by calling 1-415-655-0001 and entering access code 187-492-0475. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down any other devices. Alternatively, you may submit public comment by email to the department's commission affairs officer at environment at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. President Stevenson. Here. Vice President Ahn. Commissioner Bermejo. Here. Commissioner Chu. Here. Commissioner Sullivan. Here. Commissioner Wald. Here. Commissioner Wan. Here. All right, President Stevenson, we have a quorum. All right, next item, please. All right, our next item is item two, President's Welcome, and this item is for discussion. All right, good evening, everyone. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramatish Ohlone understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramatish Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to Warep, Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded lost nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as the first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge in how we care for San Francisco and all its people. Thank you for your attention during that important acknowledgement. And thank you for joining us to our, for our second commission meeting of March. As many of you know, we had a special commission meeting at the beginning of the month to hear an update on the department's budget. While it was a sobering conversation to have, I'm excited that this commission has an opportunity to act on this and to work to explore more stable and reliable funding solutions for the department. Tonight, we continue the work of ensuring that our department has the funds that it needs to meet and exceed our climate goals and to support the work that we have to do to rise to the challenge of the climate emergency declared by our supervisors in 2019. 
I'm happy that we have the chance tonight to hear about a program that Commissioner Ahn and Commissioner Wan have been an integral part of and that shows the intrinsic connection between the environment and human health and that we will get to hear an update on the CND ordinance where I hope we will use our commission voice once again to finally vote on a resolution in support of this ordinance. With the planet on fire, every meeting of this commission is meaningful, but tonight's feels especially important at this point in time. The critical work we're undertaking right now requires that we all keep our eye on the goal of solving our climate crisis. And this demands that we focus, that we don't allow ourselves to be distracted by political turmoil or unfounded accusations. I am completely in favor of good government and accountability and where there are problems, we need to fix them and move forward so that we can restore public trust. I'm personally thrilled that our elected leaders are taking a hard look at our city to ensure that we combat corruption any place that it exists. And at the same time, we need to support the good work of our department staff and its leadership. I've been on this commission a long while and for these past years, I've been honored to serve here alongside the capable leadership of Director Rafael. At a time when no one should be sleeping well with the immense amount of work that we have before us to save our planet, I personally sleep better because I know she's steering the environmental ship of our city. And I wanna take this moment to state my support for her without reservation and to reiterate that this commission stands ready to push forward the important work that she and this department are doing every day. And finally, I want to take this moment to acknowledge the horrifying violence and hate crimes that are happening to Asians and Asian Americans across the country and here in San Francisco. And to let our fellow Asian American commissioners know that we stand in solidarity with you and will support you and our communities however we can. Is there a public comment on the president's welcome? All right, I will share the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen in case anyone joining via WebEx would like to call in at this time. Just a reminder that comments should be for this item, which was the president's welcome, and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And please also remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in our queue, but we'll take a quick pause for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item. All right, and I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, then seeing that, public comments now closed. Next item, please. All right, our next item is item three, approval of minutes of the March 1st, 2021 Special Commission on the Environment Meeting. The explanatory document is the March 1st, 2021 draft minutes, and this item is for discussion and possible action. All right, commissioners, is there any discussion? Can I hear a motion to approve the draft minutes, please? Commissioner so moved. Ah. Commissioner Bermeo moved to approve. Commissioner Wald, is that a second? Yes, please. All right. We have a motion by Commissioner Bermejo and a second by Commissioner Wald. Is there any discussion or changes from the other commissioners? All right, Katie, let's open up public comment for this item, please. All right, I'll put the instructions for making a public comment on the uh, approval of minutes back up on the screen. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment on this item. And I'm not seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another brief pause.
And I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right, then public comments close. Next item, please. Uh, we'll first call a roll call vote. Oh, we have to vote. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Thank you for keeping me honest. All right, then let's go move to a roll call vote, please. Great. President Stevenson? <laughs> Aye. Vice President On. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Chu? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. All right, the motion passes. Now next item, please. All right, our next item is item four, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. So I will put the instructions back up on the screen. All right, I've just put the instructions up on the screen for anyone joining via WebEx who would like to call in. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. We don't currently see any callers in the queue, but we'll take another pause for anyone who would like to call in to comment during general public comment. Right, and I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right, thanks, Katie. Next item, please. All right, moving on to item five, presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Neha Gupta, and this item is for discussion. All right, Commissioner Wald, take it away. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm delighted to present our Environmental Service Award to Neha Gupta who recently left the San Francisco City Attorney's Office after serving as the department's counsel for four years. Neha assisted this commission and the department with countless legal questions, document reviews and guidance, and all of her help contributed to meaningful environmental and community impacts. She was instrumental in helping write the toxics, plastics and litter reduction ordinances. She also worked with us on the Antibiotic Use in Food Animals Ordinance and the Flame Retardant Chemicals in Furniture and Juvenile Products Ordinance. Her expertise and dedication to helping us through numerous process questions and projects allowed us to ensure that we were following the proper protocols and doing our due diligence. With that, I am pleased to join my colleagues in expressing our gratitude to Neha for her partnership and her commitment to tackling key environmental issues and in presenting her with this award. And on behalf of all of us, I wish you great success and lots of fun in Washington, D.C., Neha. Director Raphael, would you like to say a few words? I would love to thank you, Commissioner Wald. Um, yes, this beautiful Environmental Service Award, when we finally get to the hard copy, Neha, uh, you'll be able to see the California poppies and know what you've left behind. Uh, you've left behind not only the beauty of California, but the loving admiration of colleagues. Um, that list of 
uh, ordinances that Johanna, uh, that Commissioner Wald read, you know, it's, it's not even complete. I was thinking of other ones that we worked on together and the drama of working with unhappy stakeholders and how you help us navigate to find good solutions to challenging problems in the service of environment. And to me, what higher calling is that uh, for an attorney, but to work in that public realm, to solve gnarly problems, to find solutions that are legally defensible and meaningful in the change that they result in. And you with your grace and your intellectual brilliance and your ability to listen and your forthrightness in delivering information that maybe we didn't want to hear, but it's the, you know, the reality of what the law will allow us to do. Uh, all of that combined is a phenomenal um, skill set. So I'm not at all surprised that the Biden administration snagged you uh, very much of our loss, but know what a difference you have made and how much you are missed and how much we're pleased that if we can't have you, at least the Biden administration gets you because you're gonna make a difference wherever you go. Thanks, Commissioner Wald. And we, we just, we really love you, Neha. Thank you, Director Rappel. Uh, now I'd like to invite John Gibner, Deputy City Attorney, to say a few words. Hi, thank you. Um, my name is John Gibner. I have worked with Neha for four years in our office and had the pleasure of uh, being her, her immediate supervisor for the last year in, in the office. Uh, I've been working with her on issues related to the Department of Environment this entire time, but also want to note that she's done an extraordinary amount of other work for the city while serving as your general counsel, um, advising departments, including at various times, the fire department and the police commission and others, uh, and also working on litigation uh, on a variety of issues, including challenging the Trump administration's immigration policies, defending our city's sugar-sweetened beverage, health warnings, uh, and, uh, and handling litigation involving the reform of the cash bail system. Uh, Neha, as you all know, has the, the qualities and skills that really make a great lawyer for any city department. Um, she's brilliant, she's thoughtful, uh, she really loves complicated issues and will thoroughly get to the bottom of them. Um, and that is especially useful for a commission and department like yours, which has a lot of really complex uh, legal issues and questions. Um, she's always professional and she's just nice. And, uh, and everyone really loves working with her for all those reasons. Her departure is your loss, my personal loss, and the city's loss, but I really think the gain for the whole country because of the important work she's now doing. So congratulations, Neha. Thank you, uh, John. Now, do we get, do we let Neha say something? I would be so honored. Thank you so, so much um, for this recognition um, and even more for your kind words. Today, I'm taken aback and a little bit speechless um, 
And I want to take this opportunity to really express my gratitude. Um, this could not have been a more inspiring environment to work in. Um, to work with the department was such an honor. Um, the work that that the entire department and commission was always pursuing was for the betterment of our city. And it just felt great to come into City Hall every day and get to be a small part of that and to be a partner in all of the solutions that you have been driving, your creativity, your rigor, and the joy and zeal with which you all approach the work, um, which is a true uphill battle, um, was just immensely inspiring um, and really has driven me further in my goal to to pursue a career in public service. So it was just the pleasure is mine. Um, and I am the one who should really be saying thank you. And I, I have to say to my dear colleague, John, that his words, those are so kind and um, so unexpected. And I, I appreciate it to work in our office was um, really the highest honor. And I couldn't have asked for a better four years. So um, this whole uh, experience is giving me great, great nostalgia. Um, and I wish I could be back there with you in person. And I hope that everyone will be back in City Hall in person soon. But um, really, from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you. Um, and I will take forward all of the great lessons I learned from all of you from the work that we did together. I think of them every day um, and they continue to drive me um, in the work that I do now. So I very, very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for those lovely words. Uh, everyone can see why you're such a pleasure to work with. Back to you. All right. <laughs> Neha, good luck. I know that we all wish you the best and we miss you terribly. Um, commissioners, would anyone else like to say any words before we open up to public comment. Commissioner on. I would just like to say, Neha, this is usually the moment where we go down from the dais and take our photo with you, but obviously we can't do that now. But please come back to City Hall and uh, would love to just have you experience the department once again as well. Once actually, maybe when we moved into our new offices as well. But appreciate your, all of the work that you've done for us. So thank you again. I very much look forward to coming back to visit and intend to do so. So thank you. I'll take you up on that. All right, Katie, I think we should open it up to public comment. Is there any public comment on this item? Yes, okay. Let me put up the instructions for making a public comment on this agenda item, which is the Environmental Service Award. All right, and I do see that we have some callers in the queue. Um, so just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment. And please remember to press star three if you're joining by phone in order to uh, be added to the queue. Give me one second while I put my timer. All right, and I'm going to go ahead and unmute our first caller now. Let's see, hold on one second. Hi, Com <clears throat> commissioners, Katie? Yes, hello. Can you hear me? Hi, it, it's, it's Lowell uh, Chu from uh, the Department of Environment. And the public comment I want to make is actually um, 
a, a thank you and a quick story. So Neha, I just want to thank you for assisting the department and the energy team. Um, the quick story is that back in 2019, PG&E just awarded us with a grant. But of course, like it was only 30 days to sign the contract, right? So I was stressing out if I was gonna get fired for sure. But I contacted you, Neha, and your unflappable professionalism was clearly evident. You brought the Calvary, you helped us get into contract in no time. And you saved me from being fired. So, Neha, I really enjoy working with you. And every time we chat, I feel like I learn something new from you. And it's been an honor working with you. And on behalf of everyone on the energy team, we thank you and we wish you the very best. Thanks. All right. Thank you for your comment. Okay, and I see that we have another caller, so I'm going to unmute our next caller now. Hi, this is Jen Jackson, Toxics Reduction Program Manager in the department. And unfortunately, I can't be on camera right now, but Neha, you would see how I'm both happy and sad. I'm so excited for you, but so sad for us. You have been just an amazing partner to our department and specifically to my team. When you first started working with us, we had recently passed the requirement for pharmaceutical manufacturers to take back old expired drugs. And um, considering our audience, it was a really challenging ordinance to begin implementation on, and you were right there. You hit the ground running as we were in the middle of all of that. And meanwhile, we also had just begun drafting a new ordinance to ban the use of flame retardant chemicals and furniture and juvenile products, and you helped us work with stakeholders. And, and I think with both of those situations, you were both considering how we protect the city as well, you know, in terms of litigation, et cetera, but also how we can be a leader. And so I really appreciated you finding that balance and helping us strike that balance with our ordinances. And then um, as Commissioner Wald mentioned, you also helped us draft and pass our requirement for grocers to report on antibiotic use in food animals. So, you know, how much antibiotics are used to produce the meat and poultry sold in San Francisco. And I'd say this is probably the most challenging of all the ordinances. And again, you were right there with us, helping us understand what we could do and what we couldn't do as a city. And so I just, I just wanna thank you for being right there with us, trying to strike that balance, but also helping us be leaders um, without you, I know our ordinances would not have been as good as they have been. Thank you. Katie, are there any other callers in the queue? I'm sorry, I was on mute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jack, would you like to go ahead? <laughs> Make your public comment. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, hi, Nea. It's great to see you. And uh, I want to say that I really had the honor and pleasure uh, and benefit of having worked with you uh, since 2017. And, it, you know, as I counted, we worked on six different ordinances. And I think five of them you were, we were crafting language. And one of them you were helping uh, respond to 
legal challenges, but I think we, it wasn't really a legal challenge, legal questions, and, and we got a great result. And I just, you know, this, this was a span from uh, expanding our ban on polystyrene foam to reducing single-use or non-reusable foodware. Uh, there were a couple of different oranges on that that you worked on uh, to pre-checkout pre bags, uh, to our refuse separation ordinance and to our C&D ordinance uh, that we're, we have on the agenda today. And I just so appreciate your willingness and ability to dive into the details and uh, just you're such a sharp mind and helping us figure out all those nuances uh, and being so, so diligent. And it just was such a pleasure uh, to work with you and helping make these ordinances uh, as strong, as effective as they could be. And uh, you are certainly really skilled and patient. And I say that we, it's really our loss and we miss you. And I, you know, but it's clearly, a, I know the Biden administration is gonna benefit and the country will benefit. And I'm just really excited for you. Uh, I only knew recently where you ended up. So uh, that's just really exciting. And I look forward to hearing, uh, you know, the impact that you make and I wish you best of luck and thanks so much. Great. Thanks for your comment. All right, and I'm seeing no additional callers in the queue. Can I can I just say something? Thank yep, you. Go for it. I'm like maybe I should ask John if I can talk. Um, so uh, I I did just I just wanted to respond to those very kind comments, Lowell, Jen, Jack. It's so wonderful um, to hear from you and um, to remember the really great work that we did together. Um, well, you taught me so much and pretty much everything about energy programs. Um, and Jen, it was such a pleasure to work with you on all of that legislation and also ask you for hiking recommendations, pretty much anything to do outdoors. You were my go-to resource. Um, and Jack, I really enjoyed working with you on implementing all of those programs, really tough initiatives, um, but exciting problems to solve. And it could not have been um, a more fun thing to come to work and do every day. So I, I miss working with all of you very much and so appreciate your kind words and you taking the time to come and share them um, is really uh, just just such a joy. And um, just, I can't say thank you enough to all of you and the commission. Well, we wish you the best and we're so glad you could join us tonight. All right, Katie, let's move to the next item, please. All right, our next item is item six, presentation on Brightline Defense Air Quality Monitoring Program. The sponsor is Eddie Ahn, Commissioner, and the speakers are Daniela Cortez, Brightline Defense, Reggie Reed, Central City SRO Collaborative, Jocelyn Blumenrose, and Haley O'Brien, Stanford, and the San Francisco Community Youth Center Youth Leaders. And this item is for discussion. Excellent. Commissioner Ahn, go for it. Thank you, President Stevenson. So even before starting the presentation, maybe it's good to tell a little story to get our minds wrapped around uh, the environmental justice implications of this program. In August 2020, uh, I was doing a lot of the surveying for citing the air quality sensors myself and just going, literally walking along the street and trying to find good light poles to place these smaller sensors on. Uh, a stranger in the tender, while I was in the tenderloin, a stranger came up to me and uh, used uh, anti-Asian slur and also threatened to slap me in the moment. And so taken aback, I wasn't quite sure how to grapple with it. Uh, but 
there wasn't a lot of time to reflect on it, unfortunately, because just two weeks later, then the lightning complex fires started. And that's where we, uh, the program coordinator for Brightline, Daniela Cortez and I continued to then quickly cite these sensors in order to make even uh, the data available for the communities we're purporting to serve. So as frustrated nowadays as I am, you know, currently with the news, of course, we've seen about anti-Asian violence occurring from coast to coast. I am heartened by this program, uh, particularly by the participation of our community partners, uh, the CYC youth leaders that you'll hear from today, as well as the SRO tenant leader, Reggie, who's here as well. But, you know, Daniela Cortez, the Brightline program coordinator, will, of course, introduce each community stakeholder and really try to uplift their voices. And ultimately, despite all the stress that I've endured over the last year in trying to get this program up and running, uh, it's been really an honor to work alongside uh, all the folks who are involved in this program. And uh, maybe I'll just pause for a moment too and also recognize my fellow colleague, uh, Commissioner Sarah Wan as well, who's also heavily involved in this program too. All right, so can we move on to the presentation? Katie, do you have it to pull up? Thank you, Katie. Um, good evening, commissioners. I'm Daniela. I'm the program coordinator for Brightline. And as Eddie mentioned, I will be co-presenting today on a project with a few of our community partners um, and also our Stanford partners who have been helping us with our data analysis. And this is a really exciting project. It's the first of its kind serving frontline communities. So really happy to be here to share what we've done over the past year. Next slide, please, Katie. So just quickly, um, I wanted to mention how air quality is currently monitored and why we even began this project in the first place. So this map just shows you the reference stations in California currently. There's about 250. Um, in San Francisco, there is only one. So you can imagine that there are some pretty significant blind spots. And that's really where we saw the need and why we started this project in the first place. Um, we installed low cost sensors in local San Francisco neighborhoods that are uniquely burdened by air pollution. Um, and it's data that these reference monitors just don't catch. So that is what we, we hope to do. That is what we hope to serve um, and educate our communities with. Next slide, please, Katie. So as mentioned before, this is a collaborative program. We have uh, two community partners in addition to Brightline, Central City SRO Collaborative, who heads up the SRO Tenant Leadership Program. And we have Reggie Reed here today as well. And then our CYC team, we have the Youth for Community Engagement Youth Leaders, um, who are high school youth, um, who have also been helping us um, throughout the whole year with the sensor network design, with community outreach and surveying. Um, and then in addition to the community partners, we have our technical partner, Clarity. And we also began a partnership with Stanford um, last year in the fall, and that has continued um, into this year as well um, for our data analysis. Next slide, please. So yeah, this project began January 2020 before all of our lives changed in March, but we started meeting with our community partners. Um, we took this great picture 
Um, we have representatives from CARB, the Air District, CYC, CSROC, and these were really the preliminary discussions um, as to how we were going to conduct our community outreach, where we were going to place our sensors. And this all got pushed back because of the pandemic. So we actually weren't able to start installations until August, um, very much in response to the wildfires, as Eddie mentioned. But in October, we were able to finalize our sensor installations. And this is one of the last sensors that we did um, at the CYC main office rooftop alongside Commissioner Wan and Kai from CYC. Next slide, please. So a quick overview of our program. Um, phase one was the planning meetings that I just mentioned that took up a bulk of our year. Um, last year, uh, we spoke with our SRO tenant leaders, our CYC youth leaders, um, a variety of community members, um, stakeholders, all to gather insight and input as to how we were going to design this network and where we should place our sensors. And then we moved into phase two once we were able to site all of our sensors. Initially, we were going to do 15 sensors, but because of increased community awareness, community need, and just general interest in the program, we are actually up to 19 sensors as of today. And we are now currently in phase three, which is our data analysis, where we are just analyzing and collecting all of the data from those 19 sensors. Next slide, please. So this is the actual device. Um, this is a Clarity Note S sensor. It is um, powered by the solar panel, which is the black slide that you see there. It also has a cellular antenna, so that's how it translates data into an open map that is made publicly available. Um, but they are very much weather resistance, very low maintenance, and we chose Clarity as our partner um, because they're very technically proficient. They are deployed all over the country, all over the world, really. So yeah, that's why we chose them, and they have been a truly great partner in this project as well. Next slide, please. So the environmental policies, um, Katie, next slide, please, sorry. <laughs> um, as we are in the intersection of public health, environmental justice, and environmental education, we had very specific um, air quality issues that we wanted to identify and monitor through our sensor network. So it's very much um, vehicular congestion, proximity to highways, diesel emergency generators, construction impacts, and of course, major air pollution events, which in California usually translates into wildfire smoke. So that is what we had in mind um, when we put the network up. That is what we hope that our sensors will catch. But of course, um, there's a lot of factors that impact um, the air quality and the air quality issues, um, but that is what we're monitoring. Next slide, please. And through it all, why we're here, um, ultimately we hope that this project will help shape environmental policies, help educate the environment, the communities that we are serving, um, and ultimately just improve um, our air and our city. So whether that's through clean room infrastructure or um, green energy, um, green buses, there's a lot of factors that go into it. There's a lot of ideas, but ultimately that's what we hope to shape. Next slide, please. So the community input process, I mentioned that um, there was a lot of community outreach that went into our phase one. Um, and given that this is an AB617 program, um, the boundaries of the network were set by 
the consideration of SB 535 disadvantaged communities and AB 1550 low income communities. So you can see on the map, it's mostly that pink horizontal striped area. And a Bright Line Policy Fellow translated that map into the map that you see here on the right, just to make the intersections, the, the roads, and the local landmarks a little bit clearer, because ultimately, ultimately we put this um, map on our surveys, and the community members, the SRO tenants, the stakeholders were just mark up the map and let us know what intersections they thought that we should be monitoring. And that's what we used to um, set up the network design. So with that, I'm going to pass it off to Reggie Reed so he can talk a little bit more about the survey and his experience. Katie, he might be an attendee. Um, if you could make him a panelist, please. Okay, give me one second. Yeah, thank you. So while Katie's doing that, um, most of the community outreach that Reggie did was in the Tenderloin um, and Soma areas. Um, and we also have our YC youth leaders who did a lot of community surveying in Chinatown and different San Francisco neighborhoods. So Reggie will be sharing his experiences in the Tenderloin and Soma neighborhoods. Okay, Reggie, are you there? Uh, yes, you're very quiet, but we can hear you. Hello. Oh, you're still a little quiet. Can you hear me now? We can. It's still a little quiet. If you can turn up the volume, maybe. Um, a little bit. Um, let me um, Daniela, could I give you the phone number? Oh wait. What was that? Or I could uh, just give you the phone number now to call in and just do it over the phone. Would that work? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, so uh, the phone number is four one five. 655-0001. And then there's an access code. Are you ready for the access code? Yeah. Okay, the access code is 187-492-0555. All right. Hello. Hello. I think so. Um, if you have it open on another device, just make sure to um, mute the other device. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. I'm gonna, yes, we should I'm gonna be good. Go, go, go. <laughs> Thank okay, you. I'm going to go ahead and get started. 
Oh, next slide, please. All right, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and get started. Hello. All right, Reggie, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, good evening, commissioners. Before I get started, I'd, I'd like to honor Pratiba uh, and Daniela and Eddie. Uh, for giving me this opportunity to represent the Central City SRO Collaborative. I also would like to uh, take this second to shout out to Kelly for all the work that she does here in the office to help us get our jobs done. I also would like to uh, give a shout out to my partner, Jason, who I work with while we were doing our uh, surveys and doing our Brightline work together. He's not able to be here today, but I'd like to take a second just to shout out to Jason. Uh, the first thing that I learned during the Brightline was uh, how many people actually have breathing problems? Uh, a lot of times you're not really aware of that because nobody really pays attention to that type of thing. But when you're out talking to people and then you realize, boy, that's like five people that I've met that have COPD. Then I go out next week and then I run into another 10 people that have COPD. So then it's like, well, let me dig a little deeper and find out about this COPD and some of these breathing problems. Uh, what I found out is that COPD, is, uh, is a reduced airflow, which makes it hard to breathe in the lungs. Uh, I found out that one in 17 American adults have COPD. I also found out that 15.5 million are diagnosed with COPD, but millions more may have it. So you're asking yourself, what does this have to do, what does all this have to do with Brightline and air quality? Well, if you have a breathing problem, it's very important that you have quality air. That's, 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 a, that's a given. Um, I also found out that we need to give more attention to people that have these uh, breathing problems like asthma and COPD. Uh, I also found out that the air quality plays a role in most of these people that have these breathing problems. And what I mean by that is when they're at home and in their communities, uh, they really need quality air. Uh, it was really bad when we start, first started doing our bright line because we were having all those wildfires. And uh, I was surprised how many people, once they found out what we were doing, they stopped. And they would wait in line so they could come and tell us about some of their experiences with the air quality and having breathing problems in their own buildings. Uh, one of the things that I found out is that a lot of these uh, people that have the breathing problems, a lot of things that contribute to these breathing problems is our environment, meaning the forest fires, cars, construction works, uh, e even cigarette smoke. Um, a lot of the people that I talk to, uh, I ask them about the air filters. And normally, when you're in the Tenderloin and on 6th Street, people either want some free pizza or something free. But when you start talking about, about these uh, air filters, they really started taking it serious. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a learning experience. A lot of these people, when you tell them and they see that you're genuinely concerned about their, uh, their opinions on the air quality and their lung problems, a lot of them, they really are concerned and interested in having, in having uh, air filters and things like that available to them. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close on this. Uh, one, the, the most important thing that I learned from talking to a lot of the people, is that they were wondering if we could help them get an air filter. 
Uh, in fact, I think I mentioned that at one of our meetings, Eddie, that uh, we should somehow supply these people with some sort of air filters in their units, especially people that stay in these older units where they really don't have a lot of ventilation. And um, I think that's something that we should really look into, supplying these people with air filters. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Reggie. Next slide, please, Katie. So for anyone who isn't um, familiar with COPD, it's a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, and basically this is just a quick pie chart of the survey results that um, Reggie was mentioning. So as you can see, the vast majority, 79% agree that air quality in their neighborhood has negatively impacted their health. Um, and whether that's through COPD, um, asthma, um, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but there is consensus that air quality um, is not great and it has a huge impact. Next slide, please. Um, so I just wanna pass it off now to our YC youth leaders um, who will also be sharing their work on the Brightline program. Hello everyone, uh, can you guys hear me well? All right, okay. So let me introduce myself first, so I'm Ken. I'm one of the nine pres presidents from YCE, which as you may see on the screen, it stands for uh, Youth for Community Engagement. And today, each of us will be taking part of the presentation and briefly introduce uh, what's YCE's role in the community and what do we exactly do. Next slide. So uh, first of all, uh, let me introduce the nine of us. And uh, first we have Helen from Babua High School, a team from, uh, George Washington High School. And we have Blanca from Galileo High School and me from Abraham Lincoln High School, Yingling from Mission High, and Yingling from SFI, Bosco from Marshall, Michelle from Burton, and Edwin from Longbird. Next slide. Okay, so what does YC do? First, we do outreach to the community and our major target group is senior since we are bilingual or even multilingual volunteers. So we spread information about uh, disaster preparedness and teach lessons on first aid or CPR with multiple languages. Uh, we also participate in health fairs and festivals. Uh, on the bottom right, uh, you can see there's a photo of everyone in the program during the mid autumn festival uh, at Chinatown. And uh, to keep us connected, uh, we also conduct school fairs like officer meetings and president meetings every month. Next slide. Uh, so what is our um, scope of work in, uh, in this program? Uh, we're here to work on outreach to people in the community. And then so more people will be aware of how important air quality is. And then um, how uh, does it affect our daily life? Uh, for example, um, we're, we've spread uh, information on this project to other community programs about information of what bad air quality air quality uh, can do to people. And then the cooperative uh, goal of CIC and Brightline uh, is to graduate an annual cohort of uh, youth leaders with an increased understanding of community engagement, air quality data, and environmental leadership. Uh, next, please. We would participate in collecting data from surveys, 
and discuss the solutions to what is affecting the air. Our goal is to reach at least 500 households throughout the CYC's Youth Leadership Program. Next. Why is air quality important? Air quality education can prevent respiratory illnesses, for example, like allergies and asthma. And we can let people know what's wrong with the air pollution and what we can do to improve our air quality. Next. So how are we reaching out to the audience? We're trying to reach out to the audience by using, using social media to help spread information about this project. So for example, we would post flyers and surveys on Instagram so that more people can take the survey and have a chance to learn what we're doing. We, we are also hosting workshops to talk about air quality and district distribute flyers around the neighborhood in our communities here to educate people about this project. Next, please. Um, and over the past few months, we have successfully outreached to over 550 residents in San Francisco through senior building, neighborhood festivals, and youth programs in our community. We promoted air quality education and how it affects our environment and health. We also talked about the solution to the to this issue and we had collected and shared anonymous survey data. Next please. So what are the efforts so far? Our team have created two uh, flyers with both Chinese and English version to promote this project and encourage our community members to fill out the survey. The link will be sent or post shortly. We would also like to collect your opinion if you can help. Next, please. So what data that we are hoping to collect from the survey? First of all, we would like to know what's your opinion of the main source of air pollution that in your area. Secondly, the type of units reaction due to the bad air quality people might have. Last but not least, we would also like to know what do you think of the reason might be the, uh, of the increasing air quality in your area. We highly recommend you filling out the survey because your voice values a lot to us. Next, please. From our survey report from October of last year to March this year, we were able to get 360 people in the response. We have targeted the stock market, Thailand, Richmond, Chinatown, Sunset Bayou, and Butchola Hill neighborhood. Next, please. I'm going to talk about the report summary. From the report, we found out that people think in last year, San Francisco's air quality is fair. But the air quality of Tenderloin and Soma neighborhoods are severe than other neighborhoods in San Francisco. And the worst air quality season is summer. And about 70% of people agree that San Francisco's air pollution has affected their health condition. The main impacts are wheezing, coughing, and dry throat. And over 60% of people agree that the vehicular congestion is one of the main resources that contribute to the air pollution. And others include diesel generator emission and wildfires. Next, please. 
The accounting to report summary open. We got some possible solutions to suggest from the responder. Make a green chip by bicycle, allow more sensors to keep track of air quality, buy low carbon appliances, and use flyer to put more air quality knowledge in schools and every community. Hope everyone can participate in those possible solutions and make the city become a better place. Next slide, please. Thank you so much, YC leaders. Um, so just a quick recap of how we got into our phase two um, and our sensor installations. Next slide, please, Katie. Eddie previously mentioned that it was very much in response to the lightning storms that set off a series of wildfires. And on August 19th, Governor Newsom declared that we were in a state of emergency. So um, next slide, please, Katie. Um, Eddie and I, we started going out and deployed the first seven sensors across Tenderloin, Soma, and the Richmond District. We were actually asked to add an additional sensor at this time in the Richmond as a quote unquote control sensor. Next slide, please, Katie. Um, so we started getting a lot of community interest um, and basically how we present our data is through the air quality index. So just, um, it's a pretty simple color code. Green is healthy, moderate, not so great. And um, if any of you are familiar with this during the wildfire season, we were getting up to the orange, um, red, sometimes purple um, categories. Next slide, please. So um, as of today, Brightline has deployed 19 sensors across five different San Francisco neighborhoods, Chinatown, Soma, Tenderloin, Petrero Hill, and the Richmond. Next slide, please. Um, and then this is just a quick um, link. So this is the open map. This is where um, our sensor data is compiled. It is publicly available and updated hourly. Um, and this specific screenshot was during the wildfire. So you can see that almost all the sensors were red. Next slide, please. And then this is the distribution of our sensor network. So you can see that the cluster is in the Tenderloin and Soma with a few in at Chinatown and then below Petrero Hill and our control sensor out in the Richmond. Next slide, please. Um, okay, so now we are in phase three. And um, as I mentioned before, next slide, please, Katie. We started a partnership with Stanford last fall. Um, it was a group of five underclassmen from Stanford University's Urban Studies Program, and they began helping us with the initial data analysis um, of the August to December um, time period. They created some outreach materials and educational booklet as well. Um, and I will pass it off to Haley here, who is also from Stanford, um, so she can explain some of the wildfire impacts that we saw. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Haley, as Daniela said. I'm a master's student working with Brightline um, on this project. Um, you can go to the next slide. Um, so as has been mentioned, um, throughout September and October, wildfires had an extremely negative impact on the air quality index and PM 2.5 levels across all the neighborhoods in the Brightline sensor network. Um, as can be seen on this Line graph, there were peaks in the air quality index around September 11th and October 2nd, originating from wildfires that started on September 9th and October 11th, respectively. Um, the AQI increased across all neighborhoods, but at these peaks in poor air quality, it was the highest um, in SOMA. Um, and then these upper two maps um, on the side compare the annual average PM 2.5 levels across San Francisco and the sensors in the Brightline network. Um, the, more, ma the majority of these sensors, as you can see, uh, mainly 
that are mainly located in soma and the tenderloin um, fall into this area where there are higher levels of PM 2.5 levels usually, um, which is only exasperated during wildfire season. And um, you can go to the next slide. Um, so this is just a photo, a reminder of how bad the air was um, during the, the peak of wildfire season. Um, but higher AQI levels in a neighborhood such as Soma is cause for concern because of underlying factors that may cause the residents to disproportionately feel the effects of poor air quality. Um, per Article 38 of the San Francisco Health Code, Soma was identified as one of the five most health vulnerable neighborhoods um, in the city based on a series of criteria, including increased risk of mortality and morbidity from illnesses like asthma, a condition known to be worsened by poor air quality. Um, Soma was also identified as a neighborhood with one of the five lowest um, average mean household incomes in the city, likely decreasing many residents' adaptive capacity to mitigate the negative effects of environmental stressors like poor air quality because of the lack of financial resources um, to purchase intervention strategies such as air purifiers, high quality masks, and things like that. Um, so these are just some other important factors to consider alongside with the AQI data when allocating resources and creating air quality specific policies for the city. Um, Jocelyn is now going to speak to the air quality in um, normal air times. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jocelyn. I'm a data analyst and engineer. Um, if we can go to the next slide. Um, I have uh, been looking at the data. So at this point, we have about seven months of data from many of the sensors um, in Brightline's network. And um, this allows us to look kind of at the last seven-ish months, um, which have all been during COVID, as you are all aware. Um, but we've also gotten access to a couple other, um, some other sensors from places in the rest of the Bay Area. So we have access to data from a couple sensors in downtown Redwood City and Berkeley. So we can do comparisons both between um, neighborhoods in San Francisco and also those neighborhoods in San Francisco with neighborhoods um, elsewhere in the Bay Area. So one, one pattern that we have noticed is that when air quality is bad, it tends to be similarly bad across the Bay Area. Not, not identical, but the bad days tend to be more or less bad everywhere. Where we have seen differences is in the baseline behavior of air quality. And so um, these graphs here are looking specifically at um, PM10 data. And, um, you know, what we found is that, you know, the, the Redwood City and Berkeley sensors are these blue and green lines uh, towards the bottom of the graph. And you can kind of see that the, this top graph is looking at the average, the median air quality um, over these months. And so that's when, on just an average day, air quality tends to be better in um, outside of San Francisco. And you can see that this bottom graph represents the good days. So the 10%, those kind of best 10% of days, and you can see air quality tends to be better outside of San Francisco in those days as well. Um, so, you know, this is taking place even in the context of less traffic and less activity due to COVID right now. Um, and even with that, San Francisco neighborhoods seem to have a higher um, baseline for air quality than other places in the Bay Area. Um, so without meaningful policy changes, we're really risking the resumption, uh, you know, of 
pre-COVID levels of activity, um, uh, adding additional air pollution onto neighborhoods that are already experiencing higher baselines. Um, so helping transition to clean energy and cleaner forms of transportation will be important for both for a sustainable recovery and for air quality in San Francisco and these neighborhoods in particular. Thank you so much, Haley and Jocelyn. Next slide, please, Katie. So just to wrap this up, um, I just wanted to leave everyone with the thought that air quality matters a lot, not only um, for specific um, health disparities, um, health impacts, but because we all deserve clean air and San Francisco as a city will be better for it. Um, and I hope that because of all the speakers here today, you see that this is very much a collaborative project. We couldn't do this without our community partners. We couldn't do this without the community members that have taken the time to share their own experiences um, with air pollution, with health impacts, and of course, um, our Stanford partners and Jocelyn, who came on board at the beginning of this year as a volunteer um, for her data knowledge and analysis. Um, so this is a big project. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than Brightline, but um, we hope that a lot of good comes out of it. Next slide, please, Katie. And just as a reminder, stay informed, monitor your air. Um, you can always use Brightline's link, tinyurl.com backslash brightlineaq. It is updated hourly. We have 19 sensors up in different San Francisco neighborhoods to make sure that it's as representative as possible. Next slide, please, Katie. And if you're interested in following us along on our project and on our air quality journey, you can find us in a variety of social media platforms. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was excellent. And I loved getting to hear from all of the students. That was fantastic. Um, and thank you all for coming and for, for hanging in so long to get to have your turn in the presentation. Danielle, I have a question for you. Um, what's next? Like, what's the next sort of phase of this? We've gone through three phases. What's what's coming up next for this? Yeah, so we're basically just going to be in phase three for the duration of our project um, and making sure that throughout the whole time that we are collecting data um, and analyzing the data that we continue to gather community input, continue um, doing our surveying um, and publishing those results that the community is aware. I think a big part of phase three, apart from the data analysis, is also continuing our environmental education efforts. Um, but basically, um, as we collect this data, we will be pu publishing quarterly policy reports, which is where um, Haley and Jocelyn and, and a bunch of other volunteers come in to make sure that as we continue to gather this data that we're making um, cohesive summaries um, that are accessible to a variety of stakeholders that are accessible to our community so people understand um, what we're seeing with the data and that they can make actionable change based on that. That's great, thank you. Commissioners, any questions or comments? Com Commissioner Wan. Uh, can you hear me now? Yep. Uh, I just want to take this opportunity to really thank, uh, let me take out the commissioner hat, but put back my director hat for CYC. Really want to thank uh, Brightline and uh, the SL collaborator for this wonderful opportunity to come work together. I think our young people really have a great, meaningful experience, not only learning the knowledge, practicing to practice their presentations, but also thinking about how to really raise awareness about this important issue. Last year, it just happened because of the wildfire. Everybody jumped on this topic. If everybody asked for a workshop, I hope that people will continue uh, rather than only when there's something happened. 
But again, this has been a great opportunity. And I personally learned a lot. Even though I sit for this presentation twice already, I still find new things to learn. I have my open map on my phone every day that I could check on the map what is the quality around me. And I can't, I will never forget how I see Commissioner An climb up to install all the sensor and climb up to the roof of my building <laughs> together. Uh, it's been a great collaboration. Thank you. And, and I can't say that enough. I'm always really proud of young people, they're all generation. Any other questions or comments, commissioners? Uh, Director Rafael. Thank you. That was an amazing presentation. I, I first just have to react to how well choreographed it was that you managed to get everybody in and everyone knew when they were coming in and it was amazing. So I have a couple questions and, and one I'd like to just throw out now is you mentioned at the beginning that the state has one sensor and in San Francisco and now we have 19 and I'm just curious how different or similar is that one sensor and I don't even know where the sensor is in San Francisco and is it underestimating what your data is finding how are you informing the state with our 19 sensors yes thank you for that question so to clarify um the one reference uh, monitoring station is actually from the air district um, and our, our own 19 sensors, one of the 19 is co-located with that air district uh, monitoring station to ensure that the data that the other 18 sensors is collecting is accurate and reliable. That co-location happened in January of this year. So it's a little bit behind the other sensors that we put up between August and October. But so far what we're seeing is that um, it is very much, it is similar, um, but there are definitely local neighborhood trends that the reference station in Petrero Hill, um, that, that's the location, doesn't pick up most of the time. Um, we aren't sure how that may have been impacted during the wildfire season because again, we didn't co-locate until January of this year, um, but we'll have another year of data with that sensor co-located now with the Air District. So hopefully in a year, I can better answer that question as to how we're seeing the differences. Well, yeah, so you answered, yeah, there are two ways my question could be interpreted and I get how you answered it, which is good, which is a really scientific one, how if they're in the same place, how good are, how accurate are our sensors? I was just wondering, I mean, those, those charts that the folks from Stanford were showing comparing us to other cities were pretty dramatic. I mean, the, San Francisco, which is, famous for its wind and therefore concept of good air quality clearly isn't in particular neighborhoods. And I'm just curious how Chinatown and South of Market look compared to Petrero Hill where that state sensor is located because that state sensor could be really drastically under reporting what kind of air quality our communities are feeling. And is that the case? Okay, Jocelyn, do you want to take the first part of the question? Uh, sure. So um, I think, you know, similar to answering this, we really only have a couple months of data uh, from the Petrero Center sensor that, that we've been comparing. So we haven't done um, a retrospective looking at the, um, the sensor that isn't part of this network and comparing it to the to the in-network sensors, although that would certainly be interesting to do. We haven't done it yet. Um, looking at January and February, it certainly does seem to be on the lower 
end of what we're seeing in San Francisco. And so I do think we'll be getting some interesting data from uh, the sensor in network there. Um, and also we can bring in that other data and see what that says as well. And then just circling back on whether it's underestimating it or not, um, we didn't have the Petrero Hill um, sensor up during wildfire season, but we did have the Richmond one, which was our, it was supposed to be our control sensor because the assumption is that the Western side of the city has better air quality because of wind patterns. In the end, we didn't see a huge variety, like uh, variability amongst the different sensors, but we did see that Soma and Chinatown had higher levels of air quality, of AQI, sorry, compared to other neighborhood sensors. So there is some variability, but again, now that we have the Petrero Hill sensor and we can compare it to that reference monitoring station, um, I think we'll be seeing some interesting trends come out of that. I hope that answers your question. Great, Great. thank you. Any other, Commissioner Chu? Hi everyone, I um, just want to say it was a joy to watch this collaboration happen um, from kind of afar. And um, it's very cool to see all the different pieces and skill sets that came together to putting together this project. Um, so my question is around the slide that has the pie charts on how 60% of the survey respondents agreed that vehicular congestion and exhaust is one of the major sources contributing to air pollution. So that was such a clear takeaway to me that you know, transportation and single occupancy vehicles and idling is like such a major contributor to this problem. And I think what often happens um, in the transportation space, which I spend the majority of my time in, is a lot of really, I think, progressive projects such as protected bike lanes and, you know, electric charging projects and et cetera are often um, seen as like controversial to the community because they take away parking or, you know, the local businesses don't don't want it. For example, the, the Polk Street bike lane project from a couple years ago was halted because, or was kind of, you know, watered down because the local businesses were not excited about, you know, the full implementation. And my point is, I think it would be really powerful from a stakeholder engagement standpoint to pair this really rich data about air quality with the SFMTA outreach and engagement work that they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis to really show kind of the negative impacts of vehicle vehicular congestion and exhaust. And I think that's not like a natural extension. I don't think there's like an air quality data analysis team at the MTA um, pairing their engagement work with um, this. Um, so I'm happy to either make a connection um, or I'm, I'm sure Debbie has connections as well, but I, I just think the marrying of these two problems are not isolated, um, can, cannot be solved in isolated ways and need, need to come together in order for us to, to move um, our environmental goals forward. So thank you. Yeah, and if I could just chime in on that, I think that's, this is Commissioner Sullivan, that, that's exactly right. And I'm looking at the slide that has the AQI index of the city with the entire city with different sort of darker colors for where the AQI is, is bad. When you look at that that map, you can see that the, the transportation patterns. I can see 280. I can see high. I can see 19th Avenue. Uh, I can see 101. I can see Doyle Drive, and and uh, it just really brings home how we we have to we have to solve the you know the the problem of exhaust from fossil fuel uh, 
fossil fuel cars and vehicles around the city if we're ever going to solve the air quality problems of our city. Thank you for those comments, Commissioner Chu and Commissioner Sullivan. Um, I echo that. I think it's definitely a big takeaway from what we've seen so far. And I think a large part of what Jocelyn um, was saying is that right now we're actually seeing lower emission levels than normal, but it's safe to assume that um, once we start going back to normal levels of activity, um, the neighborhoods where our sensors are, the tenderloin, um, Chinatown, Soma, those are traditionally the hardest hit in terms of congestion. Usually they're seeing a lot of traffic, a lot of um, emission from single use vehicles. So it's more important now than ever that we do enact those policy changes um, rather than wait for it to get worse again. That's great, thank you. Any other comments or questions, commissioners? Uh, oh, Commissioner Bermejo. Good evening and thank you for that presentation. I was thinking about how often we think of air quality and we think about the poor air quality in the Central Valley and we never really, I was such an eye opener to think, wow, in San Francisco, these things exist and why we have to continue to monitor this. And I only hope that um, in the future, you'll come back and do another presentation about what that means once we, not that we go back to normal, but that more, activity with, um, I think that so many folks are, are worried about taking public transportation right now because of, of the effects of COVID and being in closed spaces, et cetera. So I'd like to see, and uh, you know, moving forward, uh, a presentation when you come back and do a presentation about some of the other findings as we ease back into um, more activity, more people in the city, et cetera. But thank you. What a great, great team you have highlighting. It just gives me such hope to see such talent and, and, and enthusiasm for this. Thank you. All right. I think it's about time to open it up to public comment, Katie. Great. I will share the instructions up on the screen for calling in to make a public comment on this agenda item. And anyone who would like to make a comment should now uh, dial the phone number on the screen and press star three in order to be added to the queue. And you will have three minutes to make your comments. And I don't currently see any callers in the queue, but we'll take a pause in case anyone would like to call in. President Stevenson, if there's no public comment, may I conclude with one last thought? Of course, Commissioner Owen. Um, uh, I'm not seeing any public comment. <laughs> so essentially, it's it's just making sure uh, enough people are recognized behind this program. I think two years ago, if you had told me I'd be climbing up a ladder, you know, trying to tie these sensors onto a lighting pole, I would just told you you're totally crazy. And against a backdrop, by the way, of a sky coated in ash too, it was, it's been a crazy last year um, just to even do this program. But I specifically wanna thank Daniela uh, Cortez for all her hard work around this program and coordinating, as you can see, so many different stakeholders to make this happen. 
the volunteers, of course, uh, Jocelyn and Haley for their amazing work in helping us even get at the data. Like, you know, you can collect all the data in the world, but if you don't know how to parse it, that's a challenge unto itself too. And then, you know, just thinking about like the next generation of leadership and just seeing CYC's youth interact the way they've done. So thank you for all your work. And then, you know, making sure that the SRO community itself is empowered too gives me a lot of heart at the end of the day. So I'm glad this has all, you know, been brought up today and thank you again for all your efforts. Thank you, Commissioner. That was a beautiful wrap up. But to all the presenters, thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to having you back many times in the future, I'm sure. All right, Kitty, next item, please. All right, we'll move on to item seven, review and vote on whether to accept the policy committee's recommendation to approve resolution file 2020-04-COE, urging the Board of Supervisors to support proposed ordinance Board of Supervisors file number 201151. The sponsor is Deborah Raffel, director, and the speakers are Jack Macy and James Slattery, SF Environment. The explanatory documents are resolution file number 2020-04-COE, regarding ordinance and Board of Supervisors file number 201151, Board of Supervisors file number 201151, Environment Public Works Codes, Construction and Demolition Debris Recovery, Construction and Demolition Debris Recovery Legislative Digest. And this item is for discussion and possible action. All right, Director Raffel, do you wanna introduce the item? Yes, thank you, President Stevenson. <clears throat> So today we're going to have back at the helm, uh, Jack and James, to give you an update on this construction and demolition ordinance, uh, affectionately known as C&D. This is not new to you. You heard this back in November, November 2nd, specifically at the policy committee. Uh, and then it came to the full commission on December 8th of last year. There was a decision made not to vote on the resolution, though the policy committee did recommend uh, adoption of a re resolution in support. The decision was made just because there was a delay in hearing uh, this item in committee at the board. We want it to be fresh and we want it, your vote to be um, relevant and recent. And so now that we have a recalendaring of this item. We want to bring this back before you and uh, have you consider the full resolution. The last time we talked about this, Supervisor Safai came himself uh, and talked about his own personal commitment to this issue and his excitement about moving forward on this ordinance. So I'm going to leave it to Jack and James to just refresh your memory. It's not going to be a deep dive but they will let you know if there's been any changes and what the resolution says before you. So with that, I turn it over to my colleagues. Uh, thank you, Debbie. Uh, good evening, commissioners. It's uh, my pleasure to join you tonight and I appreciate your consideration of this. Um, I'm gonna be passing it on to James, but I just wanna say that uh, since we presented to you last December 8th, James, who has been focused on C&D for several years, has been promoted to a new position, which is our CND zero waste coordinator position. So uh, congratulations to James. It really reflects many years of great work he's done. Uh, and this ordinance is kind of a re representation of a part of that effort. And, you know, so James is just gonna give you a, a very brief uh, reminder of why that we need this ordinance, what it's doing, and then some additional changes that have come up since then. And with that, I hand it off to you, James. 
Thanks. Thank you, Jack. Uh, thank you, Director Fell, and uh, good evening, Commissioners. Thank you again for the opportunity to speak before you. Um, as mentioned, this is a uh, part three of a, of a three-part installment, if you will. Uh, we, we did start, I think, going back as far as uh, August 2019, uh, I, I spoke before the Policy Committee, and that was really an opportunity to go broad and deep into all things CND. And we've been narrowing down the focus towards this um, resolution that is uh, tethered to a uh, policy solution um, that's being proposed at the board. And so um, I'm gonna have to turn my camera off, Kate, if that's okay, because it's given me some bandwidth issues and I don't want to um, crash in the middle of the presentation. Um, if you could go to the next slide though, Kate, that would be great. Um, as mentioned, um, again, James Slattery, I, I work on the zero waste team. I've been with the department for about nine and a half years now. The last four and a half have been exclusively focused in construction and, and demolition debris recovery efforts. Um, and, you know, when we first had this conversation back in August of 2019, we, we've jumped in and, and maybe this is a good opportunity to start with a just a refresh of what this ecosystem entails, um, some of the challenges that are inherent to it, and um, why this particular policy proposal is the appropriate solution at this time. Um, it is a huge challenge for us, uh, C&D, or I'll, I'll use C&D moving forward, but construction and demolition debris and, and the ability to recover resources from that debris stream impacts both our zero waste goals and our climate action initiatives. Um, to give you a sense of how that's possible and the scope of impact we're talking about, um, Every year, we're averaging about a million and a half tons of construction and demolition discards, debris, that are being generated. That means a million and a half tons of unwanted building materials have to find their way, uh, be collected, transported to processors who are going to then in turn um, sort through it and redirect these valuable resources to reuse, recycling, and composting markets. Um, the million and a half tons uh, of discards is the result of tens of thousands of permitted building activities. Um, we had been averaging anywhere between 50 and 60,000 VBI issued building permits annually for a number of years. Um, about 30,000 of those activities each year produce a significant amount of debris. Uh, it's not just a quick plumbing or electrical rewiring. There are truckloads of debris leaving those job sites. Um, there are hundreds of hauling companies moving this material along. It's not a single collector system that most are familiar with when they think of curbside collection. We have hundreds of companies, thousands of trucks are, are in play each day, and they're moving to dozens of facilities that are scattered throughout the region. We're not limited to just facilities um, here in San Francisco proper. Um, we're, we're going miles out into the region to deliver some of these materials. Um, and you can imagine then how that affects the climate action is because there are, is a lot of embodied carbon and embedded carbon in these resources and our ability to recover them helps us reduce um, the amount of embedded carbon um, that, we're, that we're generating. Um, so it, for an example there, EPA gives a stat that you know, if you recycle one ton of construction and demolition debris, you could save one ton of CO2 emissions. Uh, next slide, Katie, please. Um, and so from these challenges, um, well, I it's important to note that these challenges aren't unique and, un and unknown to us. We've been working at this since 2006 when we essentially banned the direct haul of C&D debris to any landfill. We prohibit that practice. Um, 
in our 2006 ordinance, which is what we are updating, what we're talking about updating here at the board is the 2006 construction demolition debris recovery ordinance. Not only did that ban or prohibit direct haul to landfill, but it gave the Department of the Environment authority to regulate certain construction and demolition projects, um, certain aspects of the transportation and hauling of debris, and then certain facilities who receive that material. Um, we've had a, a lot of success and it was a pioneering effort. And in spite of this um, visionary policy that we've been implementing since 2006, next slide, Katie, please. Um, we see that we still have about a half of the city's generation is attributed to these activities. And 25% of our disposal every year is related to construction and demolition debris uh, generating activities. You know, that's in spite of having a ban on direct haul to landfill, we're still finding about 150,000 tons a year arrive at regional landfills. Next slide, please, Katie. And so essentially that's our problem statement in a nutshell. We've got huge amounts of debris being generated, huge amounts being disposed of illegally. That's not to mention what you see here that's also finding its way illegally into our communities, our parks, um, our neighborhoods, uh, a lot of which finds its way into the Southeast section and the neighborhoods in the Southeast section of San Francisco where there is industrial activity. Uh, there's also CND debris processors located there who routinely find illegally dumped materials outside of their own gates every morning. So it, it, beyond the amount being generated and the amount being disposed, we do have direct impacts on our, our communities here in San Francisco. Um, and I can assure you, if it arrived at a landfill illegally 60 miles away, or it arrived in one of our parks two miles away, it got there on a truck. And so it's the transportation of these discards that is really the most vulnerable point in our system right now, because we have done a lot of work in the last couple of years to tighten our oversight of the construction projects that have to account for their discards they're generating, how they plan to reuse them, recycle them, compost them. Um, we've really tightened up oversight there in partnership with DBI. We've also tightened our oversight of our facilities and um, are being recognized, uh, again, for pioneering efforts to drive greater recovery results at these facilities. What we haven't done is, is address what's happening in the transportation node of the system there. Um, and so that sort of speaks to the essence of the solution we're proposing is if we can't prevent a construction project from going forward unpermitted, then the next best option is to intercept it as it's happening illegally. And this model is, is pretty common with health inspectors, building inspectors. You deploy a fleet of inspectors to intercept activity in real time and course correct. Um, now that's true, again, if material is gonna be hauled away 60 miles to a landfill or if it's gonna be hauled two miles and dumped in one of the city's parks, if we can intercept that activity before it happens, um, it's, it's a much more advantageous position to be in than trying to catch up to the fact afterwards. Um, so intercepting in real time is the best way to prevent these violations from occurring. Um, next slide, please. And so the solution we're proposing, it's not one that, you know, we're just kind of kicking out um, off the top of our head. We've been engaged deeply with our stakeholders. It's, it's what we do routinely because we're already implementing an existing ordinance that has such far reaching um, impacts and such a diverse group of stakeholders from building owners, architects, contractors, haulers, uh, facility operators. Um, we're routinely engaged with them, but we specifically um, went to our stakeholders from the course of January of 2019 to November of 2020 
um, did multilingual engagement around this issue of how to resolve for our legally disposed tons um, that are finding their way either in, in you know, massive quantities at the landfill or into um, communities and, and parks. And we engaged a, a diverse group of companies, small, large, medium, contractors, haulers, uh, facility operators, processors. And there was a general consensus that um, one way we could level the playing field right now, uh, because what we have, in addition to all of these adverse impacts of material going to landfill, uh, CO2 emissions, impacts of illegal dumping in our communities is by not properly monitoring the field of play, there's essentially no referee out in the field right now. And so what you allow then to happen are some outfits who are willing to violate these rules and regulations. It gives them a tremendous competitive advantage in the competitive bidding process on construction projects because they can discount their bid by not going to the proper recycling facility, by dumping material illegally. And so the consensus from the community was, yeah, this would be a good way to level the playing field because you could root out the non-compliant actors who are routinely underbidding the compliant ones. Uh, and, and you could then chip away at those issues of tons illegally disposed, tons illegally dumped. Um, and so the easiest way to do this, what's being proposed, next slide, Katie, is uh, the expansion of an existing fee-based permit system that is nested at the Department of Public Works, SF Public Works. They currently permit debris boxes. We're proposing to expand that um, in recognition that the debris that is finding its way to illegal disposal, illegal dumping, is often not arriving in a debris box. It's sometimes just happening in trucks in a variety of sizes. And so what we're proposing is a fee-based system that builds on what's applied to debris boxes, but now recognizes that there are other vessels in play that have led to these adverse impacts. Next slide, uh, please, Katie. Here's where you get a sense of the um, progressive tier-based permit system. It's a bit of a wonky table, but what, I, what you wanna pull out of here is that um, the issue of equity was addressed um, in an equity scan. And one of the findings that it produced is, you know, we need to tether the fee so that it's scaled progressively to the size of the operator. Um, so if you have a vehicle that can move 80,000 pounds of debris, your permit to operate that vehicle should cost more than the permit for a vehicle that can only move 5,000 pounds of debris. And so this was a, a way to level the playing field in a fair and equitable manner, but also generate the resources that we need to properly uh, enforce our rules and regulations. Next slide, please, Katie. And again, sort of coming back to um, the, the weak link in the system being the, the, the vulnerable point, I should say, being the, the transporters. Um, and this is to give you a sense of what those progressive tiers will look and feel like. This is the smallest tier, tier one. We're proposing that um, it be phased in a year later than the other larger tiers to give these smaller contractors a time to adjust to the new regulations. Also give us time to do multilingual outreach um, to this community, preparing them for the shift. But a tier one vehicle here, um, you could see is, um, it's, it's one of the smaller trucks you'll find, but they can make multiple trips in a given uh, day to discard materials. Go to the next slide, you see the, we get into the lightweight and medium weight dump trucks. That would be our tier two permit. Next slide gives you a sense of tier three. There's a, an expansion of what dump trucks can do and, and they really jump in their capacity in tier three. And then tier four is the, the largest um, outfit uh, uh, with the um, transfer trailers and the super dump trucks. Um, 
the fees will be um, generated to bring on resources that will be deployed in a multi-agency effort. If you could go to the next slide, please, Katie. Um, the multi-agency effort that will be coordinated by the Department of the Environment, but will leverage um, staff at both the Department of Public Works and the Sheriff's Department so that we can begin to properly uh, be in the field, eyes in the field and intercepting activity as it happens. It's gonna be a um, really a comprehensive way to weave compliance checks in throughout all three stages of the C&D system. The construction project we can visit now, we can intercept haulers in real time, and we have the ability to visit facilities in multiple counties now where our discards do arrive. It's important to note, there's been a couple of amendments proposed since this was last heard at the commission. And just to kind of briefly give you a sense of what those amendments entail, um, the, the, the big one here is the operative date. We pushed the operative date out to January 1, 2022. Um, for tier one, the smallest vessels, they'll be pushed to July 1, 2022. Uh, another important amendment noteworthy is that um, the language in the ordinance now calls for a dedicated fund to be managed by the Department of the Environment that will allow us to allocate work orders and distribute funds to these other departments and coordinate their efforts. Um, it also allows us to maintain independence from the general fund by having that fund to be dedicated to be managed by the Department of the Environment. There is an amendment, and, and it's always tough to tease these things out, the three nodes, facilities, projects, and haulers. So there are some aspects of the ordinance update, while the guts of it and the heart of it deal with transporters, there are some um, uh, aspects that speak to the facilities, and it has to do with hauling. And the facilities now have to verify that the hauler showing up at their facility has the proper permit. If they don't, they can accept the load of material, but they have to notify the Department of the Environment within 30 days, and that hauler has, it's like a fix-it ticket, will have 30 days to be able to correct that violation of not having the proper permit. Um, again, it, it's a, a way to ensure that they're not just going to go illegally dump the material because they got turned away. We want them to accept the material, but we want them to correct the permit issue. And then the final one is an amendment that really is evolving and just speaks to the ongoing effort that we're engaged in to synergize the complementary regulatory authorities that lie with Department of Public Health and the Department of the Environment with regards to these facilities. Um, and we're working to sort of tighten any cracks in that regulatory overlap that might allow non-compliance to slip through. Um, last slide, I think Katie is just offering up contact info, but I think it's a good time maybe to field any questions or concerns. Otherwise, the ask tonight is to please support the resolution uh, that this proposal will be voted on and heard again at Landis Community uh, and hopefully Landis Committee, hopefully before we're going to the full board. Thank you, commissioners, for your time. Thanks so much, James. Appreciate the, the presentation and the update. Commissioners, any discussion or questions for James or Jack? Commissioner Sullivan, I see your hand raised in the side, but I don't know if that was from before. That was from before, so uh, no questions. Commissioner Chu, same thing. Oh, oops, I always do this. Okay, <laughs> put our hand up. All right, Commissioner Chu, do you want to speak? Oh, okay, so, sorry. Anyone? I have to say that since we heard this last, it's one of those things where you don't think about something and then you hear about it and then it's all you ever see. I've been driving around the city, <laughs> walking around the city and it seems like all I see are these containers with stickers on the back of them full of demolition debris. So it's been very top of mind. 
All right, then if there's no discussion, do I hear a motion to move the resolution forward? Many I of my will fellow move. commissioners. All right, Commissioner Sullivan moved. Do I hear a second? I second. Commissioner Wald seconds. All right, let's open it up to public comment, please, Katie. All right, I will put the instructions for making public comment back up on the screen. And so if you would like to make a public comment on this agenda item, please dial the number on the screen and remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another pause for anyone who would like to call in. All right, and I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, Katie, let's close public comment and move to a roll call vote to approve the resolution, please. Great, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President Ahn. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes. Well done, everybody. I know that was a lot of work and I really appreciate your diligence and coming back and sticking to it as we get this forward. Let's move to the next item, please. Thanks, James. Thanks, Jack. All right, our next item is item eight, discussion and vote on whether the commission should send a letter to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to support a long-term funding solution for the Department of the Environment. The sponsor is Johanna Wald, Commissioner, and the explanatory document is the Commission on the Environment Fiscal Year 2021 to 2022, 2022 to 2023 budget letter. And this item is for discussion and possible action. All right, Commissioner thank, Wald. Thank you, um, President Stevenson and Katie. Uh, I know you all will remember that our at our last commission uh, meeting during our budget discussion, we talked about the possibility of President Stevenson sending a letter on behalf of the commission uh, to the Board of Supervisors to address some of our concerns uh, about long-term funding for the department. I really appreciate the responsiveness of the department uh, on this issue. Uh, and as a result of that uh, responsiveness, Katie and I worked together uh, to draft uh, a letter for your consideration. And we'd like to have a discussion uh, about our uh, draft. Uh, both of us, and probably Director Rafael as well, are looking forward to hearing your thoughts um, on the draft and hopefully moving forward to send this to the Board of Supervisors uh, as our next step in addressing this urgent um, issue. Uh, before I open it up to discussion, I, I do want to say that I hope that this isn't our last word. I hope we will send, or if we have to, I hope we will send uh, multiple letters and take other uh, actions that will help us out of the situation in which uh, we find ourselves. But this is the first step, and I hope you all have had a chance to 
read our draft and uh, we look forward to hearing any questions or suggestions you have uh, during this conversation. Thank you. Do, does anyone have any comments? Looks like Commissioner Sullivan raised his hand. Good, I can't see that. On purpose this time. <laughs> um, You're up. I, I just wanted to say I'm emphatically in favor of sending the letter. I think at our last, the last time we discussed this topic as a commission, the, the public comment was um, emphatic, loud, um, and I think they, they were exactly right that if, if we have a climate emergency in the city, which we do and which the board has declared, then we have to have a Department of the Environment that has reliable funding. So I'm I'm very much in favor of this and appreciate uh, Commissioner Wald and staff for pulling this together. Great. Any other thoughts, commissioners? I just wanna say that um, I love the letter and I also though, I really appreciate your remarks, Commissioner Wald. Um, about the fact that this isn't the end point, this is a, a starting point, um, and that there's still a lot of work to be done to ensure that we get the funding that we need. But I do think this is an important first step, and I agree with Commissioner Sullivan that we need to push it forward. Chamber Mayha. I just wanted to add my two cents, but I do think it's a really important letter. It's a great letter, and I think it is a starting point for our conversations and also possible education for other people who hear of the great word of, of the commission, but don't often think, well, where does the funding come from and how are they able to do all the great stuff that they do? So I think it's uh, we could also use it to our advantage by educating other people about the work we do and how we do the work. Thank you. Excellent point. Commissioner Chu. I oh, just wanted to say thank you to um, Commissioner Stevenson and Commissioner Wald for taking the initiative to put this order together. I know it always just takes someone to like put pen to paper and um, I stand behind it very strongly happy to also disseminate some my first my channels to you know my you know my supervisor based on where I live and etc. All right, if there's no, any more discussion? Commissioner Wan. Just want to check, this is a, thank you for writing the letter. It's a great introduction, I think, to all the board supervisor. I guess the next step is to follow up to meet with them. Um, just wondering if they ask, what's the, what's the ask? Do we have any figure in mind? I don't know if director of- Debbie, do you want to take that? Yeah. No, thank you, Commissioner Wan. We we thought a lot about uh, so at the last commission meeting, we there was the discussion. There is the hole that we have now. There is the what do we want to expand? You know, what would we like? And then there is the how do we raise the millions of dollars so that we can actually do climate action work? So there's different. We we call them sort of three buckets of funding. After talking with. Um, various parties, our, our strategy is to fix the hole. That's our number one, absolutely. We don't wanna lay off two staff people and we wanna be able to do the minimum work. And then we are asking for some one-time funding to do the analysis of what it would take to um, actually implement the climate action plan 
So the problem we had, Commissioner Juan, is that we've got a climate action plan that's going to have an economic analysis, a, a general one that will tell us where we need to focus. But that plan, it, this is not the year we thought to do that bigger, that even that media mask, because we're, we can't be specific enough. And your point that you gave last time was so true, where you said, look, if you if you don't give them a number, then you just, it's as if you're not asking for anything. And so because we didn't have a defensible number for that medium ask, we are asking for to be whole, and then we're asking for the resources to come up with that number of what the city needs in the Department of the Environment and what the city needs as a whole in terms of capital budget and equity uh, asks to, um, to actually implement the climate action plan. So for this particular ask, we are focusing just on the 346,000 to make our whole, and then a smaller and a one-time ask of some funding that we're, we're actually doing that a little bit adjacent through some of the board members to try and, and get that one-time funding in to do the analysis. So the focus right now is to be whole and the stimulus money's in, right? So let's do a full court press and say, okay, everyone, don't don't even, you know, 346,000 can become dust, right? Budget dust compared to the bigger holes. So yeah, uh, does that make sense, Commissioner Juan? Or would you, do you have any other suggestions or thoughts on that? No, I think that's a good explanation. Um, I just feel that with such a modest department has been long-term surviving on its own grants. It's pretty amazing. Um, I just want to make sure the letter explicitly tell them the figure um, to put in. Okay, that's a great point. And we can look at rewriting the letter to ask that specific figure. That's an excellent point. And, and if I may, President Stevenson, I, I just want to say that I don't know, I think it was Commissioner Bermay who said this, that this is an education document as well, that it is an education document on what we do and our value. And as Commissioner Wald said, it's an education about the way we are funded and the limitations of that. So it's, it's a very important um, tool when we go to have meetings with the Board of Supervisors, which we will, that they have this letter already in their hands, plus your resolution, so that they they understand why we're before them. Commissioner Wald. I, I just want to follow up on what Commissioner Chu said um, in light of what you just said, Director Raphael, and, and I, I want to suggest that you at least consider bringing one or more members of the commission when you go to have those meetings and if you could pair some of us with our specific supervisors um, that might be uh, helpful uh, as well so that you know we have like a, a whole thought out strategic package that is that that contemplates the meeting in in a way um, to sort of acknowledge that it is one of many steps that we're going to have to be taking to get the result that we want, but it is the first and 
arguably most critical uh, step because the way we start off is the way we got we have to end. That's an outstanding. That's an outstanding question, and um, yeah, that is perfect. I would love. I would love that kind of backup and support. I assume you're doing it on video anyway, right? <laughs> Indeed, we are. Indeed, we are. <laughs> um, so did I hear from Commissioner Wan, did I hear a request to amend any of the language to add a number um, in the letter? I mean, it's either add the number on the letter or at least before we walk in, we know what's the number. <laughs> Let me go talk to the supervisor. <laughs> so my understanding is that we certainly know the number to be made whole. And then that middle number, do we, it sounds like Debbie, we know what we need to do the middle work. And that's the, that's what we're going to ask for from the supervisors in these meetings. Yeah, we, we, there is a number that I have calculated that we need to do the the, the bigger work of analysis with financial people, people who understand how to get ballot initiatives on how, you know, what the, um, and, and that is a number that I'm not sure it needs to go in the letter, but I think the letter intimates that that is an important thing. And as, as Commissioner Wan said, we all need to be armed with that when we walk in so that it's very clear here is the ask. I'm not, I'm agnostic as to whether it goes in the letter or not. So I, I leave that. It's so this this particular discussion has raised an issue uh, in my mind again. Katie's heard me on this many times. I just want to make sure that that the letter is very clear about what it's talking about. We have a short-term problem, we have a mid-term problem, and we have a long-term problem. Uh, it, if everybody would take a look at it and, and make sure that those problems are not conflated, um, I would, I would feel better. I mean, we, we have to make it clear that while we are very concerned about the whole, and we are very concerned about the whole, and we're very concerned about our ability to develop a plan that will allow us not not only to fill that hole, but not have that hole anymore. The bigger issue is what are we going to do in the long term? And we want them to think about all three of those things at the same time. And so the letter has to be crystal clear on that and because my departmental whatever computer laptop isn't working I can't look at the letter now so just make sure it's clear I mean, we're not you know I can look at the letter now um and we're not you know we don't spell out this sort of three-part thing in it you know we do state unequivocally that we need long-term funding and that we don't have what we need um, but if we wanted to add a line somewhere in there, I think that that would be completely fine as far as I'm concerned. Um, if everyone agrees that that is 
actually what needs to get done. Yeah, I agree. I think the more concrete, sorry, I guess I should have. Commissioner Chu, go ahead. Um, sorry, I was just going to mention that I think the clearer we can be about the exact action and the next steps that we're calling for, I, like, I think right now it, the language is like very inspirational and I think including like the very, very clear concrete, um, the, the phases, the steps that the first three I think would be really important. And we'd be happy to, to do those edits under direction, you know, just if that would be the, when we, when we were looking at this letter, we were really focused on the big, scary problem of, because your resolution was very, very focused on the gap, you know, on the whole. And so the idea was, well, that's great, but that's not really going to get us to be able to do what we want to do. So this letter was very much written thinking about, all right, we've got to solve for it. So I don't think it takes away from it to, to, to put in those other things. I would just not emphasize them as much because I don't want to take away from, you know, right. the, the inspirational, powerful point. So is that okay that we'll just add, we'll add a sentence, but not more than that, that gets to the concrete piece of the other steps. Do, do we need an actual motion uh, to do that, or can we all just nod as I see us uh, doing? Uh, because I think I think the letter should be self-explanatory. It it ha it should stand on its own, and it shouldn't need to have anybody there to interpret it for people. So I would be perfectly fine uh, with that as well. And and again, do we need a motion? I don't know if we need a motion because it's not it's not a resolution or an ordinance. It's I think it's a direction to send the send a letter, but. I'm not the lawyer. Neha's probably gone, right? <laughs> what would Neha say? Neha is gone. Uh, Charles Sheehan, um, Policy and Public Affairs for uh, the department. Uh, because it is a, uh, I don't know, we, because it is a document we posted for consideration at a public meeting, I am, I, I am, I would want to take a motion to do an amendment. Um, and so that does open up that um, process of where we're doing some live editing. Um, so we can go down that route. And Wait. we did it successfully. It did take a lot of time last time. Um, I do want to point to Debbie's comments earlier that, um, you know, because we've been talking about this, the commission has been talking about this, and some of our environmental advocates have been talking about this for for a while, for three or four weeks now. And um, I think the board, the mayor, they know that this issue is out there. And so uh, we've met with the mayor's office. We're going to be meeting with members of the board. And and we're going to kind of come in with a couple of things. One, I think we heard a suggestion that we actually come in with, with uh, certain commissioners, especially with their um, uh, supervisors. We've sent the resolution already from last time. Um, we'll have presumably the letter if it passes this time. And we'll also have specifics on what the short-term funding gap that is that, um, that they need to plug to make us whole, and then what we're looking at for the medium term and long term. And so I feel like kind of the specifics that we walk into, you know, the people power, whether it's Debbie, a commissioner, 
someone from our budget team, and then as well as the resolution, the letter, I do feel like we've got the ammunition to kind of communicate clearly short-term, medium-term, and long-term problem. And so that's my, that's my counsel on that. Okay, so could I, could I respond to that, um, yep. President yep. Stevenson? So, yep. so um, number one, I think, I think as we have in the past, I think we could give general, I would like you to consider us just giving, gen, not editing now, but giving general direction about adding a brief reference to the resolution and, um, you know, uh, the need for funds that would allow us to develop a plan. Alternatively, maybe, and again, this assumes that we can have some direction. We could make it more, even clearer that this letter is intended to address the long-term issue. That we could do that with one or two uh, clauses that are added to the sentences that are already included in it. Um, so I do feel, Commissioner Wald, like the letter addresses the long-term issue. I don't know. I, I feel like the wording as it is right now is very clear that that's what we're talking about. I think that in, from, from what I can see in it, it's that middle point. You know, if we sent the resolution about plugging the hole, if we're talking about that middle point, I am with you that um, I think that we could entertain a motion to amend the language to talk about the need for this interim funding to get to the point where we understand what the long-term need is in terms of um, how we're gonna finance the department and then send the letter forward with the idea that there is an amend amended line in there, a single line. But I don't think that, I, I really do think that the language is quite strong and excellent about the need for long-term funding. I don't know if everyone else agrees. I think what I would like to do is ask for a motion to send, to amend the letter with a line such as Commissioner Wall just um, referenced, and a second, and then we can take a vote on that and go from there. Do I hear a motion? Okay, I, I will move uh, that we amend the letter to include a sentence. Um, you, you want a, a sentence that refers to the short-term and the medium-term needs of the department. Medium-term being defined as the funding to develop uh, answers to the questions about, you know, how much how much money do we need to implement uh, the climate plan. That is my motion, and that you know we could. This would be drafted before and included before the letter is sent. Do I hear a second? I will second. Was that Commissioner Sullivan? It was. Awesome. Okay, we have a motion from Commissioner Wald, a second from Commissioner Sullivan. If, if, I, if, I, if I may interject, so yep. um, I, I listening very carefully to Commissioner Wald and what she just said, I took some notes. If I may make a recommendation, um, I'd like to, if we could go to public comment, 
Um, I will, and then when we come back, I, I should have the, uh, the extra sentence at the end based on what I heard from Commissioner Wald and Katie can share it. And I think it'd be more comfortable. I, I'd be more comfortable if everyone could look at that and say, yes, that's, that's what he said. That's what we want. Let's vote on it. Then we move the letter. And that's what I think the process should be. If I may suggest that. That sounds fine. We will have to take a long pause for public comment with our zero attendees. All right, let's move to public comment, Katie. All right, I will put the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. And if, please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue if you would like to make a comment and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take a, a little bit longer of a pause <laughs> in case anyone would like to call in. Katie, I'm wondering um, mm -hmm. if Charles wants a little bit more time, we could move on, we could take a, put a pin in this and move on to a different agenda item and delay a vote on this until after we've had a chance to come up with the language. I don't know if that's a possibility. Um, I am actually not sure if that is a possibility either, Charles, I might default Charles, to you. I know, I think I'm... Um... I think I'm mostly done here. So I think if we want to officially close public comment and then Katie, you can pull up the uh, shared document. Sure, let's close public comment, please. All right, okay, I'm going to pull up the letter. All right. Let me just highlight it in yellow at the end there. Okay, do you it's the last it's the last clause. Or two clauses. Yeah, let's all right, so I'm just going to read it out. On behalf of the department, this commission would be happy to meet with you to discuss making the department whole these next two fiscal years, securing funds to adequately study how we implement the climate action plan and ensure the department has long-term funding to execute its mission. Commissioner Wall, does that fulfill the motion that you just put forward? Um, mostly. Uh, we've, we've split an infinitive, but that would be okay. <laughs> but the, the real issue for me, and I'm sorry to be kind of nitpicky, is whether we're talking about funding for the department as a whole, which is what I interpret to me, 
is the meaning of long-term funding to execute its mission, or whether we're talking about funding, stable and secure funding only for the climate part of the department's um, mission, which is something Katie and I wrestled with. And I thought it was only about climate. Uh, so I would love to be wrong. Director Afell. Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking I would like to end this letter. So I think it's fine except that and ensure the department has long-term funding to execute its mission. I have a problem with that phrase as well. What we really want to do is just ensure the city has long-term funding to execute, you know, its climate commitments, execute on its climate commitment and take it out of the department. And this is because this is what this long-range funding is, is that we need you know, this is a climate emergency. So to execute on its climate commitments or something. That to me, I don't know, Commissioner Wald, if that. That's yes. All right, so now it says. Okay. So that in my motion to amend the letter to include the words that are highlighted in um, yellow. And Commissioner Sullivan, do you reiterate your second? I do. Great. All right. So let's take a roll call vote on the amendment. Or can we can we vote? Can we we have to vote on the amendment first? Let's do it. Oh, sorry, I was muted again. President Stevenson. Aye. Aye. Vice President on. Oops. Sorry. Uh, Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. Okay, the amendment passes. Now, can I hear a motion to approve the letter with the amendment? Sure. Commissioner Wald moves. Do we hear a second? Second. Commissioner Wan seconds. Do we have to open public comment again? All right, then let's move to a roll call vote. Great, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President on. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes. Excellent and nimble work, everyone. All right, next item, please, Katie. All right, next item is item nine, director's report. The speaker is Deborah Raffel, director, and the explanatory document is the director's report, and this item is for discussion. Hello, everyone, again. Um, so I would like to take the time I have in my director's report to comment on what has been in the news lately. Um, with respect to myself and our department. Um, so to summarize, on March 4th, the city attorney's office announced a negotiated settlement with Recology because it turns out that in 2017, there was an error in the rate process that was not discovered and the, in the moment of the rate adoption. And that rate error resulted in significant overcharging of customers. The settlement that was reached between the city attorney and Recology 
is going to result in a refund of $94.5 million to ratepayers with a $7 million settlement payment to the city, as well as interest rates, interest on the money. This will result in lower rates uh, to residents going forward and refund checks that will start to go out towards the end of this year. So in that process of uncovering the error and uncovering the fact that it took so long to do something about the error, questions were raised about our department and about my own personal knowledge of the error. And I just wanted to set the record straight with all of you and um, in public that the first time I became aware of this error was on February 9th, 2021. So this was about four weeks before uh, the city attorney made the settlement. As soon as I found out on February 9th, 2021, that this error was likely, I, I, I didn't know details about it, but I did was made aware that there was an error and that it had been going on for a couple years now. I reached out to Department of Public Works. I reached out to the city administrator's office that same day. And I was told that uh, the city attorney's office, it was already handling it. There was nothing I could do, nor was there any information that anyone would give me because it was all confidential. So when I, like everyone else, is asking, well, should we have known, is there a role for us in here in knowing about this error? And I just wanna remind you and anyone who's listening that the Department of the Environment has a very particular role in the rate process. We answer technical questions. We assist um, with the public. We assist with the department's oversight and that department is public works because they are the ones who have the role of oversight for the rate process. We are certainly involved in the process, but we do not have decision-making authority, nor do we have oversight responsibility. If that is in fact something we need to have, then that's one of those discussions that I look forward to having as we design a new process moving forward. But the process as it stands now has, pretty, has very clear roles and responsibilities. So there is a committee that's going to be formed to look at what needs to change, to put up guardrails, rails, to, to restore public trust, to make sure that errors are caught, that responses are made in a timely manner, that the process is transparent, and from our perspective, that it promotes the amazing zero waste efforts that we have done and are so proud of in our city. We have been invited to participate in that committee and I will be happy to report back to you as the committee uh, is meeting and any discussions that are having and any decisions that might be, or recommendations, it's not a decision-making body, any recommendations that might come out of that, that committee. As always, um, I take my integrity incredibly, um, uh, as incredibly important to me as well as the integrity and performance of our department. And I stand ready to roll up my sleeves to figure out what that new process or amended process or totally different process needs to look like. 
Uh, this is something that we truly believe in uh, the Department of Environment, in good government and protection of the environment. So I am ready to roll up my sleeves. I'm excited to report back to you as more information comes available. So with that, I also want to say that I've been truly um, humbled by the amount of outpouring of support that I've, I've received personally and that the, the department has received. We've worked very hard as a department to demonstrate our integrity and I expect the highest from my staff and the highest from myself. On the budget front, I had updates, but we've really already covered them when we talked about the letter, just to let you know that we are in constant contact with both the mayor's office and the budget analyst's office about our current budget situation. Uh, I have no guarantees, but I have lots of people aware. And in large part, that's because it is not my voice alone that is contacting them. It's the emails you have sent. Thank you for CCing me. It is the resolutions that you have given. It is the public participating to get the word out that this is uh, a worthy department and even more importantly, a critical cause that we all need to make sure is funded. So with that, I want to switch gears and do something we haven't done in a while. That is one of my favorite things to do, which is to introduce you to some of our newest staff members. I love welcoming people to the department. I hate saying goodbye to people, um, but usually we say see you later rather than goodbye because so many of the people come back, myself included. So today there are three people that I wanna to introduce to you. They will just quickly introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about themselves. So first I would like to introduce Trinity Vang who is working in our public affairs team, Trinity. Hi, everyone. Um, yes, my name is Trinity Vang, and I'm a McCarthy Fellow. I'm currently working on the Policy and Public Affairs team, um, where I'm assisting on executing the CRV mobile recycling project. And I'm also helping shape electric vehicle planning codes for the city. I'm currently a senior at the University of San Francisco, and I'm really excited to learn more about environmental policy and how local governments can work with constituents to protect our people and our planet, um, especially from this department, which has always been leading the way in our nation in um, environmental protection. So thank you for having me today. Thank you, Trinity. We love our McCarthy Fellows from USF. They are always so bright and wonderful. And then I would like to introduce you to Jeff Joslin, who is joining our Green Building team. Good evening. So as you know, I'm Jeff Joslin. I'm now a Green Building Coordinator with the Climate Program team. I started right about the new year. Um, my work is focusing on public outreach and training tools contributing to the deployment of the all electric ordinance, along with other work related to accessing energy data to inform future policy efforts and lately providing some ancillary policy support to the EV team. Um, a little background, I've got 40 years or so of various sustainability related projects and positions behind me. Uh, most recently, I was for eight years director of current planning with the San Francisco Planning Department. In that role, I had a number of satisfying and successful collaborations with SFE, including serving on the municipal, municipal built, green building task force and partnering on the development of the Better Roofs Ordinance. 
for those of you that were on the commission then, you might recall my showing up here not so long ago to present Barry Hooper, Director Raphael, and the commission with the National Sustainable Planning Award that that project received. So as such, I'm truly grateful to not only be enthusiastically working with SFE and contributing to our essential mission, but this time to be doing so from within alongside my esteemed and inspirational colleagues. Yeah, we, we really scored when Jeff said he would work with us for a while um, and bring his tremendous knowledge and experience and insider look at how different parts of the city operate. We are, oh, I can't tell you how happy I am Jeff is with us. And this other person I feel the same way about, I, I'm still just pinching myself that he said, yes, he'd come work for us. And that is David Kashani, who is on our admin team. Hello, um, President Stevenson and the Department Commissioners. I'm David Kashadi, uh, Contracts and Grants Coordinator for the Department. Uh, my primary duties uh, for the Department is around issuing solicitations like requests for proposals and other notices of funding opportunities for varying grant programs and contracts with the Department. And then working with uh, SF Environments partners and suppliers, assisting them in creating grant agreements and contract packages for certification and executions. Um, Prior to coming to the Department of Environment, I was uh, doing a similar role, cradle the grave contracting at the Human Services Agency. Um, and I was really excited to take the opportunity to join the uh, Department of Environment because during my career, I actually had worked at a, an EPA leak detection program at chemical plants around uh, along the coast region of southern, uh, southern United States. And so when I saw an opportunity to come to the environment, I was eager to jump on it so that I could expand my journey into environmental issues. Thank you again for accepting and extending the offer. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely, you know, Trinity, David, Jeff, these are the best and the brightest. And for us to have them on our team is phenomenal. And um, every single person in the department is thrilled that they are, they are part, of, part of the team. And that concludes my director's report. Welcome, everybody. You'll have to come back when we can actually meet in person so that we can, you know, applaud you appropriately in real life. Commissioners, are there any questions or comments? All right. Let's open it up to public comment, Katie. All right, I'll put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to comment on the director's report. Please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another quick pause. I'm seeing no callers in the queue. All right, next item, please. All right. Okay, we'll move on to item 10, committee reports, and this item is for discussion. Commissioner Sullivan, can you give us a policy update, please? Sure. Uh, so the policy committee met on March 8th. We started out with a very informative presentation uh, on the EV program from Lowell Chu, Interim Energy Program Manager. 
We then had a presentation on the department's uh, legislative priorities at the state level for 2021 from Katie and from Charles. And we finished with uh, Commissioner Ahn leading a discussion on an adapted uh, Ramitush Ohlone land acknowledgement. Uh, we decided on a shorter, but I think still meaningful version of the acknowledgement, which is currently being reviewed by the American Indian Cultural District. That wraps up my report. All right, Commissioner Wan, did the Operations Committee meet? Uh, we don't have any um, meetings recently, so there have um, no updates at this point. All right, then let's open public comment, unless there's any discussion or questions from commissioners. All right, let's open public comment. All right, I'll put the instructions back up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to comment on the committee reports. Please remember to press star three and you will be uh, added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I don't see anyone in the queue, but we'll take another quick pause for anyone who'd like to call in. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Okay, then let's move to the next item, please. All right, moving on to the next item, item 11, announcements, and the item is for discussion. Commissioners, any announcements to share with the group? My only announcement is that my parents, who I haven't seen in more than a year, are here fully vaccinated from Montana. So I'm looking forward to wrapping up the meeting. <laughs> anyway. All right, public comment, please. Let's open it up. Okay, I'll put the instructions up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in. And I'm not seeing anyone in the queue, but we'll take another quick pause. I'm not seeing anyone in the queue. All right, next item, please. All right, our next item is item 12, new business and future agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer, and this item is for discussion. Thank you, right, uh, Katie. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Stevenson. Um, for new business, uh, I do have an important new business update. I wanna make sure that everyone gets around to the business of their Form 700s. It's that time of the year, and it's uh, new until April 1st when you uh, the deadline is, and at that point, it becomes old business. So just a reminder, Form 700s are due April 1st. That is uh, an important new business item. Um, turning um, to future commission meetings, um, the next policy meeting is April 12th. The next operations meeting is April 21, and the next commission meeting is May 25. Um, potentially, and, and coming up for that commission and maybe other commission meetings as well, we definitely wanted to provide a uh, larger update on the climate action plan um, um, that's uh, currently um, making its way through the city processes. Um, we may also have um, some zero waste grants for your approval as well. 
And uh, we'll also at some point um, be talking about um, our mobile redemption CRV uh, program that we're putting together as well. Uh, and this concludes my um, new business uh, update. I think Commissioner Stevenson, I think you're on mute. Getting lazy. Um, any comments or questions, commissioners? Thank you. All right, let's open it up to public comment, please. All right, I'll show the instructions for making a public comment on the screen. Please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. I'm not seeing any callers, but we'll take one more pause for anyone who would like to call in. All right, I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, public comments closed. Next item, please. All right, moving on to item 13, adjournment. And the time is 7.30 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. you.